This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're, 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 you're listening to the podcast for all of the news, notes, and breakdowns for your Ohio State Buckeyes. This is Sons of the Shoe with Nick Wilson and Spencer German. The show is back. Nick Wilson, Spencer German. We're both in apparition form today as I have the sun <laughs> directly over here. And Spencer's in the, uh, the, we're just outside the gates of heaven here, but uh, welcome <laughs> into Sons of the Shoe. And we were waiting. We didn't do our Thursday version of this. We're recording on uh, Friday here. Why? Because we finally have some clue at what's happening with Bill O'Brien as multiple reports are saying he is in the final stages of talks with Boston College to become the head coach of Boston College, uh, leaving an illustrious time in Columbus in uh, at least about 28, maybe 29 days. Could be 31. Nobody really knows for sure. We're going to get into that on today's podcast. But as we are a new podcast, always make sure, please, follow the show wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, the free Odyssey app, 923thefan.com. And, of course, give us a, a follow. Give us a subscription on 92.3 The Fan's YouTube channel as well. And don't forget to like the show, comment on the show. We love you guys' interaction. But uh, I, I, the second that Bill O'Brien was tied to the Boston College job, in my head, I just kind of thought like, well, that's a program that is going to try and make a relevance higher, losing their head coach in, in, you know, I think it was February. February 1st, I think, is when Jeff Halfley lost. And Bill O'Brien probably favors being a head coach and being in the Boston area more than he does being the OC at Ohio State. So I've been thinking about this as, well, this is just a matter of time. Like this, I thought of it as Bill O'Brien's job to lose. And then it turns out he did not lose it there, Spencer. Yeah, um, obviously the signs have been pointing to this and we are all kind of bracing for it. Obviously, it's... Um, 
I don't, I don't know. Like it, I think, I think it came with mixed reviews anyway, when he was kind of added on the staff. So I don't, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's somewhat of a blow, but I'm also not, I want to, I want to make it clear because Ryan day obviously met with the media this week for the first time in like over a month. Right. And he, I think one of the most interesting things he mentioned was just how he's giving up play calling no matter what. So even Bill O'Brien leaving, like his plan is to find, and there's some rumors out there, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a second of who that's going to be, but he is planning on giving up play calling to somebody that I'm assuming is a respected play caller at the college level, because he also has said that he's not going to just give that up for anybody. Um, but we'll, so that's, that remains to be seen, but the fact that he flat out said, yeah, I'm giving it up. I have made that determination. He was kind of asked about when he made that decision. If Eli Drinkwitz talking about going into the, the cotton bowl, how he gave up play calling, if that had anything to do with it. And he said like, no, I was already kind of trending this way before that. And he flat out said that just the state of college football today and the way that things flow on game day and the way that things work throughout the week, he, he used an example of, I need to be thinking about other things on a Wednesday night leading up to a game rather than what play am I running on third down and seven from the opponent's 24. Like, and I think that's, that's pretty interesting stuff in terms of just kind of getting a peek behind the curtain as to, Brian Day's thought process and and why he's doing this, um, but I, I I don't know like I don't know that losing Bill O'Brien should be some woe is me thing. I'm sure there'll be some fans who turn it into that, but the majority of fans, like I've already said, seem to not like the hire. So I guess that the worst case scenario was it did end up back in Ryan Day's hands. You kind of know what you're dealing with, but from all accounts, it sounds like there's some other candidates out there that they're going to look at to bring in. And that won't be something that Ryan Day handles. It's still going to be with somebody who's done it uh, at this level. Yeah, and when Ryan did speak about it, uh, you could tell he was not thrilled or enthusiastic with the uh, potential to lose uh, Bill O'Brien after a week here. Um, So, I mean, I think, listen, I I don't – because it's only been a month. Like, if this happened in February – or, sorry, if this happened in July – I think it would be like a real significant thing because you would have gone through practice, yeah. uh, spring practice. You would have started ramping up for the season. So that, the timing of it, I think, almost knocks out the importance and now it becomes who do you replace him with, which we'll get to at some point in this first segment. But like, I do want to think back here. I'm, you know, I'm a very emotional guy. I got three daughters. I'm always... You know, I put on Sarah McLaughlin movie and a couple pictures of dogs or young kids, and all of a sudden I'm getting misty up in here. So I just want to take a quick second to reminisce. I mean, I really think my favorite day of or my favorite moment of the Bill O'Brien era was probably the 11th day. You know, I think some people might say, but that 12th day was pretty good. And, you know, let's not skimp on the 7th day. And, you know, day 30, day 30 was pretty nice. But I just think uh, if we're talking about our favorite moments of the Bill O'Brien era, hang a banner for day 11 because that one was really the sweet spot (laughs) of what I believe was about 30 to 31 days. Hey, no interceptions ever thrown while while Bill O'Brien was here. Uh, Ohio State never lost a game. They never lost to Michigan either. That's always important. He 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 has he has something Ryan Day doesn't. Ryan Day's lost to Michigan three times. Bill O'Brien never did. So um, yeah, I, I think he's bolstering his case for a year from now. If Ryan Digg actually gets fired, maybe they circle back and they bring Bill O'Brien back. He seems to be a real winner. And now based on a technicality, what you just mentioned, it does matter 
because we don't hire outsiders in Columbus. No, no, no. You've got to be an Ohio State man. And up north, you've got to be a Michigan man. So now that he's officially, he was here for, I believe, 30 exact days, or it could have been 31, could have been 27. Nobody really knows. But I do believe because he was here for a full month, um, you can spin this. Like Urban Meyer was an assistant at Ohio State for one year. And everyone's like, oh, he's an Ohio guy. Eh, he, he coached <laughs> for this, one of the. This- is this like how Ohio State fans try to claim Joe Burrow, even though yes. all his success came with yes. LSU? So in a year's time, but, but remember, like Urban coached on one of the uh, lesser staffs, Earl Bruce, great Ohio State guy, not a great Ohio State coach. Beloved, but maybe not to the degree that Woody was or Tress was. So my point is, um, that was one year. Was one year Urban got credit for and was just bought in as Ohio guy I think at Ryan Day, little amb- you know ambiguity for Ohio State fans, how much they love him or not. But I got to tell you, now Bill O'Brien, in a year's time or five years' time, whenever <laughs> Ryan Day leaves, now we have the, the door back. open for Bill O'Brien yeah. to come back home and complete the story in the parlance of professional wrestling at the time. Um, well, I, I'll also – can I if, just get one quick reaction off here? Yeah. Boston College head coach job is not as good as Ohio State's offensive coordinator we'll job. And so you and I talked a lot about the family factor. I I can never hammer somebody for if that, if that's truly the number one guiding principle is I, you know, I got, I've got a son who, who needs medical care and this is right down the road. I don't, I think sometimes teams, coaches, people end up using the convenient excuse. I think in reality, Bill likes being a head coach more than he does an offensive coordinator. And I just think, like, how short-sighted of a decision. If this is about the the football, how short-sighted of a decision. Because the guy that we're going to get into, who I think everybody now expects will take over as the offensive coordinator, he's leaving a better job as a head coach than Bill O'Brien's leaving for a job. Like, and the, the rumor is Chip That Kelly, is wild. Yeah. Right? But, like, UCLA, even in year five, where you got people floating banners – and, and flying banners around Los Angeles saying fire Chip Kelly or save Chip Kelly. Even that, year five at UCLA, when you've disappointed to this point, even that is better of a job five years into disappointment than the first year at Boston College. And I just think it is wild that Bill O'Brien is so fixated on being a head coach. Again, if that's the guiding principle, I didn't want to say that because I don't want to be insensitive to the family side of stuff. But, like, if that's really – like, he just would rather be a head coach at Boston College than an OC at o- uh, Ohio State, man, I got to tell you, you have no vision as a human being. Well, if his first time working at Ohio State went over, um, like, a death in the family um, with Ohio State fans, I can only imagine what his his – uh, his potential return that you alluded to now that he's an Ohio guy, how well that will go over after he goes to Boston college and Boston college fails. And inevitably he has to become an offensive coordinator again. That that'll be fun. That'll be a fun conversation down the line. Um, but no, I, I think, I think to your point, as you kind of bring up just the, uh, the idea that O'Brien is leaving for a lesser job, I think the 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 evidence in that being true is sort of what's going to now kind of come behind him, assuming it's going to be Chip Kelly. Because for a coach to leave a Power Five job, that's you know at least I'm not saying UCLA is not a great job either, but it's better than Boston College. 
because of just resources and where you're located and all these different things. And you're joining the big 10, which is now going to become maybe one of these mega conferences um, for him to be leaving a head coaching job behind to come to Ohio state to be an offense coordinator. I think that that's, that's proving your point that it's just a better overall situation where you have a better chance to win. You have a better chance to revive your career and maybe go somewhere else again. Um, like, um, a la Nick Saban with all these guys that he revived over the course of time, Bill O'Brien included. So um, I think you're 100% right about that. I, I think what's interesting with it with them shifting immediately to Chip Kelly is that they clearly vetted this process pretty thoroughly from the start if, if, if they quickly already have like his potential replacement in place. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I know they interviewed Chip Kelly. I know that they went through this or at least had a conversation with him so it's not like it's this far-fetched thing that that somebody you already talked to would come, but it's just the idea that they had a game plan of Ryan Day deciding, I'm giving up play calling, here's my list of people that I would comfortably give it up for, and because you're Ohio State, you're able just to move to the next one, and you get a pretty notable name and a pretty notable offensive mind in college football and Chip Kelly to leave a head coaching job to come here. Um, I, I think that's pretty impressive. I think that speaks to the state of the program. I think that speaks to um, just the the state of Ohio State or the the stature of Ohio State within. And, and it was sort of to use a Ryan Day quote from that press conference the other day. They're chasing the one to two percenters, right? And so it's it's a really good opportunity. And so for them to already kind of have that in place, I think is interesting because they knew what they were going to, what they wanted, and they were pretty much going to get it at all costs. Bill O'Brien was at the top of the list. Now he's leaving. All right. Well, we already know what we're going to do to replace him because we, we vetted this thing thoroughly ahead of time. So just to be clear on the Chip Kelly thing, the way it was worded by the uh, college football watchman account and that guy, his, he was all in on Bill O'Brien from the start. He's been right on a lot of these predictions on what's happening in Columbus but here's how it's worded. If O'Brien takes the Boston College job and Seattle does not hire Chip Kelly, who apparently was interviewing earlier this week for the offensive coordinator job, uh, Kelly will be the next offensive coordinator at Ohio State. And as you mentioned, it sure felt like instead of restarting a new search, uh, Ryan Day is just moving to maybe maybe perceptionally who the second guy on his list was. And I think, listen, I think you can have a real argument or a real conversation on whether or not Chip Kelly is a better fit for what Ohio State fans want than Bill O'Brien. Um, I, I, I would have felt – go ahead. If So, because I, I, I didn't forget, but you bring up the Seattle job still being in play that he interviewed for as well. If it doesn't turn out that you get Chip Kelly and he does go to Seattle or he got that opportunity, who do you think is next on that list? I don't know. I mean, Brian Johnson got hired in, in Tampa earlier. Right. Sorry, in Washington right. earlier this week. So I, I really don't know. I, 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 I think we kind of all assumed it was going to be Chip. That, that's not fair. I think as this process played out, I think we started to hear Chip more and more if Bill O'Brien walks away. But I don't know. I mean, Jason Candle did apparently really well in that conversation between him and Ryan Day in Ohio State. So maybe I. Because some of these other guys have started to get jobs, like I, I think that's kind of clouded the factor here. And I think it's really important you get Chip Kelly now. Because I and like I like the Jason Candle thing, but I just think people 
It's funny. Some of those same people who said Bill O'Brien's not a good hire are going to be panicking. You you took a, a head coach out of Toledo who's never been at this level yeah. as a play caller. I mean, that's my that's my concern. And, and you hear Ryan Day talk about, I'd only give it up for certain people. I don't want to say it's strange that he'd say that and then interview Jason Candle because I do think Jason Candle is a name that's well-respected in the business and he's got a bright future. And they at some point, he probably will be in that role at a big-time school and maybe build his way to being a head coach for a Power 5 program, which is great. Um, but my statement, my thought on it has always been – if you're Ryan Day going into a year on the hot seat, got to beat Michigan, all these different things, all these different boxes you got to check, and you're telling everybody publicly, I'd only do it for certain people, Chip Kelly makes sense. Veteran play caller, he's gone to a national championship. Bill, uh, Bill O'Brien, he makes sense. Taking Alabama to a national championship take, or to the college world playoff. Taking, uh, he's, he's worked with Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Like Those two make sense. Jason Candle's maybe more of a risk. Um, so it, it's interesting. And I like, I like Jason Kendall a lot. I just don't know if for this current situation for the Buckeyes, if he makes a lot of sense. So hopefully it is chip. And, and that's just what it is. Also, uh, just a real quick point here, the chip stuff. Cause I think Ohio state fans, this is another perceptional thing. Bill O'Brien. Um, the perception is he didn't succeed at Alabama, which is ridiculous. The perception is, well, he's now failed in new England. So he keeps falling down the ladder here to Ohio state. Um, Chip Kelly, guys, it, like it's not just the losing at UCLA. Look at the quarterback exodus of UCLA, including Dante Moore, who was in the, the portal conversation for Ohio State this year. And one of the things Dante said on the way out is, um, yeah, I want to go somewhere where they'll develop me. And so I just think that's really, really interesting. And if you look at the style of quarterbacks that Chip has favored at UCLA, look at Dorian Thompson-Robinson. And that is a guy who was a elite runner early in his career and had to develop as a passer over time. Dante Moore, elite with his legs. A guy that kind of had to develop over time. Uh, sorry, will have to develop over time is more of an elite passer. So that's not the kind of quarterbacks that Ryan Day has put into the NFL. And and that's not the kind of quarterbacks you have now. Like, yes, Will, will Howard is mobile, he can move, but he's yeah. not a running quarterback. You know, like Aaron. Is Nolan. it concerning at all that Dante Moore said that? Yes, and- it should be. Listen, you. Have, like, I just think the thing that we do is we lock into one or two things as fans, and then we go, "Well, it's a great hire. It's an awful hire." I think because Chip Kelly would calling plays. One, I actually will say UCLA has done a fantastic job of developing offensive linemen with Chip. And if you look at the the, the trend of, of the offensive linemen in the Pac-12 getting bigger and bigger and bigger, that started when Chip took over and built a, I mean, a wrecking crew at, at offensive line. So I love that. But yeah, I mean, you look at the development of DTR. Yeah, DTR had some success there. He was the starter for four years. Since he's left, man, there were a lot of ups and downs. And I... I know Chip has won with different kind of quarterbacks. He, he won with Marcus Mariota at college, obviously. But I think it's something that bears paying attention to of his reputation as, as quarterback guy has taken a hit here. And I think that's the most important thing to winning at Ohio State right now with Ryan Day is reinstituting the pipeline of quarterbacks to the NFL, whether it be top 100 picks or Heisman candidates, however you want to frame that. And to that point, I think another thing Ryan Day talked about on uh, on Wednesday was just that the guys that transferred in and the guys that they kind of brought in uh, this offseason, 
they all part of it is they want to be developed. Obviously, we know behind the scenes the money's a big part of it. But he also just talked about guys who like want to be there. And K and like Caleb Downs is a great example, a guy that they, they recruited. Things changed at, at, at Alabama, and he's already like doing interviews talking about how excited he is, and he he felt a comfortability with the coaching staff. So um, yeah, like I think there's maybe some concern that comes with you hearing Dante Moore say, "Well, I want to go somewhere where they'll develop me." But I think the nice thing is if Chip Kelly were to come here and, and gets this job to, to replace Bill O'Brien, not that they cancel each other out, but Bill O'Brien brings to the table, I'm this great offensive play caller. I can do some good things. And I think Ohio State already has the reputation as a, as a school and a program that's going to develop these guys anyway. So in a way, maybe the best way to put it is Ohio State as a program provides the thing that we maybe have questions about with Chip Kelly. And maybe that's why it would be a good balance and why it will work well. All right, guys. Um, assuming that Bill O'Brien does take the Boston College job and everybody's reporting it's happening, and assuming Ohio State follows Bill O'Brien up with Chip Kelly, um, did Ohio State upgraded offensive coordinator? Leave your comments in the comment section or on social media. And Nick Wilson says, at Spencito underscore, Kirk Herbstreet is under fire. And for once, it's not from this show. That's next, but first a word from our sponsors. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So, Spencer, while we've spent the week waiting with bated breath, who's going to be the OC? Who's going to be the head coach at Boston College? Uh, another Ohio State uh, connection there. Kirk Herbstreet, I mean, just beloved uh, ESPN national college football analyst on with Thursday Night Football, too, now. Um, he was quoted by uh, the father of a recruit saying something that's probably going to piss off a lot of people. And one of the biggest storylines in the Big Ten was Matt Rule uh, flipping Dylan Rayola, um, nephew of longtime Lions center uh, Donovan Rayola, um, the son of former Nebraska offensive lineman Dominic Rayola. Why they had to name all of their kids this similarly, I'll never know, but I do. (laughs) Thanks for that because it was confusing as hell trying to put everything in line earlier before the show. But um, Dominic Rayola, Dylan's dad, as they were talking with the, the last part of signing day here earlier this week, Dominic was on the Rivals podcast talking about Dylan flipping from Georgia to Nebraska and really what made an impact. And he called out one guy specifically, and I bet you that one guy wasn't happy. Here's Dominic Rayola. 
when he saw he saw the smoke uh, about Dylan entertaining Nebraska, he was like, called me. He said, dude, is this true? He got to do it. You know, he got to do it. His affinity for Nebraska, uh, for a guy like that to tell me and to, you know, get behind me. Look, I knew, I knew he needed to do it, but I wasn't going to sit here and say, you need to go change that place or be a part of the change at that place. So when Kirk told me that, you know, I was like, man, you know, this is, I've had people reach out, other coaches reach out, reach out to me and say, look, the place is special. Coach rules a special leader. We'll say, bring up one guy's name. His name's Kirk Herbstreet. When he saw, he saw the smoke uh, about, Conversation. As we have this conversation, Spencer, I think what's really interesting about it is uh, there's been a rash of people that run to say, oh, it doesn't matter. Personally, I'm glad that Kirk Herbstreit is out there talking with people that he knows in college football, because I think I think Herbie is like, you know, we I, we disagreed with him last week on some of his statements about coaches leaving for the NFL and the state of college football. But even in that, that where I kind of disagreed with him, I said he has the right to have that opinion. I think his opinion's wrong. But, like, if anybody in, the, in college football has the right to have an opinion about the state of college football, it's Herbie. He played, right? He, his, uh, which, which, by the, which, by the way, that uh, the whole Kirk Herbstreet narrative on guys trying to flee for the NFL – it gets it. There, there's some holes to poke in it when you see names like Wink Martindale taking a job in college. Like, oh, and, this guy's got a nice job in the NFL, and he's now going to college. And when you see Chip Kelly just leave for any job, including potentially <laughs> Ohio State's OC, but you know he played at this level. Um, obviously, he is a huge part of ESPN's coverage. Like yeah. uh, for the last 30 years, so he is beloved in college football. So I think there's been a rush to defend him of, oh, it's not a big deal. It shouldn't be a big deal, but it will be. It is going to be a significant deal that Dominic Riola said this about Kirk Herbstreet when Kirk Herbstreet goes to walk into the Georgia headquarters and talk to Kirby Smart. It'll be a significant yeah. deal for other teams in the Big Ten, maybe even Ohio State, when when they go, well, hey, you went here, you have this connection. Why? I mean, remember, Dylan Rayola was in the Ohio State conversation yeah. a while he back. Ver- he, he had verbally the- he had verbally committed. Yep. So that's going to be a conversation elsewhere in the SEC. Like the 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 the, the I think it's ridiculous, but analysts have to go out of their way to paint themselves as not biased in any way, just to go ahead and get the kind of access they need and and not get crap for having opinions on college football. So it shouldn't matter, but to people who say it doesn't, it really will. And I feel bad for Herbie because I think this is an awful look for Dominic Rayola. He should have he kept this one holstered, and yeah. he, he, I think he would have been better off referencing any one of those coaches he mentioned than specifically an analyst who the perception is – if you have any sort of opinions on schools and you're swaying guys, well, all of a sudden you're no longer, uh, you know, objective or you're, you know, you lose credibility as an analyst. What's kind of funny about this is uh, Herb Street famously got like run out of Columbus. He used to live there and he got run out of Columbus because people thought he was too unbiased, if you will. Like he did kind of play it down the middle and almost too much with Ohio State that fans got mad and they'd like egg his house or whatever. And so he moved. Um, but what I think is, is maybe the most damning part of the the clip there isn't even so much that Herbie is 
commenting on a coach that he clearly has developed a rapport with. Because listen, he's in that world. I, her, Kirk Herbstreit is an advocate for college football, other than when he's on Twitter saying, oh, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Let the skies fall and woe is me. He's generally an advocate for college football. Um, he's he's probably one of the – like when you think about college football, the, the faces that come to mind are probably like coaches first. There's probably a few players that are highly known that you, you might think of. And then it's it's like the college game day set. It's the guys from that crew, Lee Corso, Kirk Herbstreit, uh, now Nick Saban joining the fold, Pat McAfee. Like you think about those guys, he is what's right good. He's a good um, person to have in the college football ranks, speaking up for the sport, representing the sport, all those different things. So I, I, I can't blame him for having relationships, having built relationships with different programs. I think that actually speaks to the fact that he is unbiased because he's able to develop these relationships and talk to you about it in like a in a way where it's like, oh yeah, I've talked to him before. I think he has. Th- I think this thing he does is great. He's really good with uh, recruiting these kids, and he's got a great message. He's building a great program. He can talk to you about a whole bunch of different angles and coaches and things that even you and I can't certainly speak to. But what what I think the most damning part of that clip is is that unless it, unless he's just sort of flippantly explaining it this way, Dominic flat out said that Kirk Herbstreit reached out to him yep. about it. That's, I and think, the thing. Him. Right. That's the thing I think is most interesting because it's one thing if Dominic calls him up and says, hey, Herbie, I got I got Dylan here. He's thinking he's he's torn between Georgia and, and uh, Nebraska, and he just wants to know, like, what can you tell him about both those guys' programs? Or like, what can you tell him about uh, Matt Rule that maybe we don't know? Something behind the scenes. And he might say, "Yeah, you know, I, I've known Matt for a while. I think he's, I think he's doing great things with that program. I don't think that's a bad choice. I don't." And, and then he goes into like why he doesn't think Georgia's a bad choice either. Like, it'd be one thing if he did it that way, but the fact that he's now reaching out and he's almost swaying people's uh, p- opinions or thoughts on where they want to go. That's where I think he crosses that line from just being an analyst who's in tune with the sport to, okay, there's a little bit more here. And, and I think he does have to be aware of like the power that he wields. Being one of these faces of college football, like I said, being a spokesperson for the sport, he has to realize the power that he has in maybe swaying some of these kids as they make these decisions. And to your point, like that's not going to go over well if a team finds out that, oh, we, you know, Kirk Herbstreit really talked us into coming here. Well, what's Georgia have to say about that when they thought they had Dylan Rayola in the bag? Well, see, but I think, like, I still don't have problems with Herbie doing this. If anyone in college football can can do this, it should be Herbie. Like, to me, I think I think the bigger thing is it's just ridiculous. And, like, her, I, I, I agree 100%. Like, th- this, is a, this is a should versus will it. And the reality is it will impact him. The, the truth is it shouldn't. And Kirk Herbstreet has earned every bit of the right here. And let's also be honest. He's, he's, he's robbing from the rich to pay to the poor. Like, this, he's not doing this Georgia versus Alabama. This isn't Georgia versus Florida. Yeah. It's not Georgia versus LSU. He's saying, man, you know what? Uh, I, this is a coach that I like. This is a program that is beleaguered. Okay, you but, go what, there, but what and if, that's a special thing. What if the shoe was on the other foot, though? What if it was he was he was committed to Nebraska and he talked him into going to Georgia? Then how would we feel about it? Well, I mean, I one, I still think Herb, uh, Herbie has the right to do that, but like, I, I, it's not. It, it doesn't really matter because the reality is it's Georgia and Nebraska, and so this isn't a 
you know, a betrayal of, of rivals, it is, hey, I think this is the best situation for your kid because I like Matt Rule, because I think yeah. a, a lot of him is a coach. And I think that's where, to me, is like, if this was, he, honestly, if he did this for Ohio State, if he had, if he had flipped a kid from Georgia to Ohio State, or if that was a perception, I would get the outrage. Guys, Nebraska's not been a threat. I happen to think that Matt Rule is going to win at Nebraska. I don't know if he's going to win the way they want to, but I think he's a good coach, and I think he's underrated in the college game at this point. So, like, at the same point, they won five games last year. At the same point, Nebraska has been a habitually underperforming team. So I, I don't think the optics are as bad. I just know how college football works and know that everybody's a bunch of sensitive little babies yeah. and they're going to be up in their feelings and it's going to be, so people are going to ca- use this to cast dispersions unnecessarily on Kirk Herbstreet because uh, here's the other thing, Spence, this stuff happens all the time and it happens from people with a lot less credibility than Kirk Herbstreet. And there are guys with a, like, uh, he, he doesn't like, yes, he knows Matt rule. He, he didn't go to Nebraska. He didn't go to Georgia. There's a guy who just knows college football that said, man, this would be really cool. I think yeah. it'd be really good for your son if he did that. That's different than when former NFL player calls up another former NFL player and says, man, your, your kids should go to my school because I love this coach. And he's lying. Like the thing I'll, I, the thing I'll trust about Herbie is that Herbie is authentic with his thing. And it's not about what's best for Herb Street or uh, uh, even specifically like a, a program that is in near and dear to his heart. You know like what I mean? Ohio State, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, I want to be clear. I'm not sitting here freaking out and I'm not joining the masses of, oh, this is a this is a a, a completely just changes my opinion of Kirk Herb Street. Like I'm not I'm not sitting here and saying that. I'm just saying and, and and it's the same thing I said. Like I understand he has a rolodex of of connections and people that he's in in tune with and friends with and, and has met over the years. And he's more than welcome to share you know thoughts on those guys and you know what he knows about them. And I, and I get it. I'm just saying from the position he's in, where he's viewed as like this, I don't know, pope of college football, if you will, analyst who's on. The college game day, which is one of the most, it's an institution. It's, it's, it, I've always said my dream job when I got into media was I wanted to work on college game day one day because I thought it was the coolest thing ever. You're just going week to week, going to college campuses. What's not to like and talking about sports. Um, but it, he has to, I, I do think on some level, I can understand why it's a bad look because you're supposed to be, again, that unbiased analyst of this game. You're not working for a collective trying to sway somebody's opinion one way or another. Now, we don't know the full context of this conversation. We don't know how it all went down. And I agree with you that I think Herbie's generally authentic. And he probably didn't make – I don't think the conversation was, yeah, you got to go here because he's like in Matt Rule's pocket. I, I don't think it was anything like that. I'm sure it was a genuine conversation. But I do understand why some might be like, eh, he's just got to be a little more careful. I don't think it should be a knock on his character. I don't think it should – completely ruin his credibility. I mean, I love Kirk Herbstreit, but you know, I can understand why there's some this? optics that come off that way. Just wait for this. When Nick Saban, who's still on the Alabama payroll, who still has <laughs> a office in Tuscaloosa, just wait. Because I think people think that these analysts don't do this kind of stuff. Just wait till Nick Saban. Is uh, this the we new? Get, we get wind of, of Nick Saban steering kids or maybe just making a well-timed call. 
is this the new uh hey these guys are getting money anyway is this is this sort of like this is the this is the nil version of that hey well you know these analysts are telling them where to go anyway they have all the honestly though when you t- considering that a florida state fans were all up in kirk's mentions because they thought he was the reason that florida state got left out i i 100 agree like this is just going to be an avalanche re- it's just going to be an avalanche they're going to be all up in his all up his butt about hey see see all the power <laughs> see all the power that you have look at look at you changing the landscape of college football for you know, everybody i just want to point out when you were you filled in earlier this week on my show you made a couple bent over comments now you're making it all up <laughs> in the butt i just want to make sure you're okay i just want to make sure you i just you know you good brother you all right yeah i think i think life's just got me bent over that's all okay yeah. all right yeah yeah, well, uh, I probably should stop talking because I tend to take this worse than it needs to be. So hey, no instead, SEC violations on here, Nick. Um, at it. <laughs> yeah, but there are like violations of you know decency that I do. I tend to make when I open my mouth sometimes. You don't want to get canceled. Do you guys have a problem with what Kirk Herbstreet allegedly did, according to Dominic Rayola, uh, Dylan Rayola's son, uh, Dylan Rayola's dad? Uh, we got plenty to get to. We do have the Michigan panic meter. Uh, some news on the Michigan front. Uh, a new coach in town in Ann Arbor. And quite a little streak we got brewing for the Buckeyes. That's next. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. All right, guys. Final segment of today's Sons of the Shoe. And obviously, we like to do our Michigan panic meter here. My panic has not changed. How about you, Spencer? Yeah, I think we're both going to be in the uh, the dark gray still. No, no change, even with the Bill O'Brien departure. the The only thing I think that would sway that specific um, thing happening that would maybe sway the meter is if that means, like we talked about last episode, that Julian Sayan leaves with him. You know what I mean? And I don't think it'd be a major sway. I think it would just be. Are any of these kids now like, well, I was actually looking forward to playing with Ryan or to playing with under Bill O'Brien. I actually want to follow him, but I don't know that that's going to be the case, especially because most of these guys, Julian Sane included, came on or signed on here or did, uh, was he before or after Bill? I don't know. Uh, Sane followed O'Brien. Okay. But, the, but the rest um, were all kind of pre Bill O'Brien hire. So I'm not as worried about that. So the other thing that kind of tangibly impacts uh, Ohio State and Michigan is Michigan is hiring Wink Martindale, uh, former Giants, former Ravens, defensive coordinator. Yeah. So the uh, roundabout, the Baltimore to Michigan pipeline continues. And I think, listen, I do think this is a good thing for Michigan because, one, Don Martindale is really well-respected as a defensive coordinator. And I think the other thing is I think it does show that Sharon Moore – continues to solicit advice from both Harbaugh's. And I mean, I think, I think the exodus from Ann Arbor um, has been a lot more significant of coaches following Harbaugh or going into the NFL, like Jay Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh's son is the special teams coordinator in Seattle. So like, I think, I think the exodus out of Ann Arbor for the coaches was much more than people expected. So to see that Sharon didn't panic, to see that Sharon was able to go to and keep those relationships intact, and he's hiring guys with connections, like I think that makes a, I think that's a good sign if you're a Michigan fan 
Um, I don't know that it's a bad sign of if you're an Ohio State fan, but I think you're always looking for cracks with a new coach, a first-time coach at a power program. When when more coaches started going, initially it was going to be three guys. When more coaches started going, I understood a little bit of the agita from Michigan fans, but uh, Wink Martindale is a hell of a follow-up to, to Jesse Mentor as the defensive coordinator in Ann Arbor. Yeah, you know, it's been nice to sit back and just kind of laugh at their expense a little bit over the last week as – more coaches were following Harbaugh, and I saw – I know Ari Wasserman was tweeting about how it can be hard as a first-time head coach when when you're getting your staff sort of purged this way. And so he's he's kind of set up in a, in a tough situation. But if you're a Michigan fan, if we were doing the reverse Michigan panic meter like we did a couple episodes ago, I can see why you'd maybe be in the – I forget which side we had on what, but I, I can see why you maybe be in the, in the blue versus the maze because you're like, oh, no, we're losing our coaches – I think a move like adding Don Martindale actually sways you back towards almost the middle where you're like, okay, like that, that's a really good hire. Uh, he's a guy who's similar, I think, to the Bill O'Brien hire at Ohio State. Like it's a veteran coach who's done it at the NFL level, who could do it at the college level. And it almost it solidifies that Sharon Moore isn't just going to have this like piecemeal together staff. He's going and getting some bigger fish and trying to, revamp the the staff around him the right way so yeah i I think that's absolutely like a win of a an an addition for the for the wolverines so not only do we have that to talk about but ohio state is building quite a streak here as last night at the nfl honors cj stroud was mentioned and and named the ap's uh, offensive rookie of the year i think that was an obvious choice but that yeah now makes Two Ohio State players in a row to win the Offensive Player of the Year. Two years ago, it was Garrett Wilson, Jets wide receiver. And uh, now, like, not to get all greedy, but I, I think you can go <laughs> three for three, right? I think that, yeah, I mean, that's the question I want to ask for our listeners as well. Do you think that Ohio State can go three for three with Offensive Rookie of the Year back to back to back? Garrett Wilson, C.J. Stroud, and then Marvin Harrison Jr., who we know is going to be a highly touted prospect. I think it's definitely – like, if, I, if I'm if i putting money on this, like, if I have a chance to bet on this, I – and at some point it'll be a thing, I'm sure, after the draft, like, who's going to be Offensive Rookie of the Year, and I may actually put some money on it because I think it's, it's more than likely when you think about this rookie class. And there may be some guys that emerge, and it, it's obviously hard to trump a quarterback, but it happened two years ago with, with, with Wilson – I would put money on it being Marvin Harrison Jr. Just because of what I've said before, that I don't know if there's been a wide receiver that I've seen anywhere that the moment they get drafted, they're already, I would consider them like a top 10 receiver in the NFL. Like, I think that is how good Marvin Harrison Jr. is. I I think he's going to instantly, we'll see it from game one on, that this guy is just a freak. He is built different. He, you know, throw out whatever qualifier you want and he's that guy yeah <laughs> he's got that dog in him um <laughs> I, I i truly believe he's going to be a top 10 wide receiver from the moment he gets drafted to and steps on the field um so barring an injury i think it's i think it's going to happen I, I think i think marvin harrison jr make it three in a row for the Buckeyes. so i think the toughest thing is because because what you're really fighting this is also a quarterback award yeah that's what's tough unless you either drastically outperform a quarterback or the quarterbacks just suck. So I think I'd listen. I think Marvin, if you had said going into each of these last three years, um, Garrett Wilson, uh, two years ago, CJ going into this year, Marvin next year, 
if three years ago we knew the the profile and the performance of each one of those three guys who would have the best chance of being offensive rookie of the year, hands down, you'd say Marvin. If you, if you were able to to like track the trajectory of how great a player is and what I I think Marvin steps in is is a like top ten wide receiver. I think he steps in as an impact difference maker kind of player. So I think he has a real chance. But I also think the other reason why it feels more like a chance is Caleb Williams is going to be a top five pick, top ten pick. But stock is down from him to where it was a year ago. Um, Drake May. I, I really thought Drake May would get a lot more love going into the draft because yeah. he kind of fits. I mean, he's big. He's well, physical. It's not, it's he's not got too, a great It's not arm. too late. There's well, always that random. You know, we, we start, you know, April, it's, it always feels like we get a new report like, this guy's rising. This guy's falling every single well, time. Well, but I mean, like, I, 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 you look at Drake. I think he's a top five top ten pick, but I don't know people expect him to be great in his rookie yeah. year. And J.J. McCarthy, any of these other guys, I don't think anybody Absolutely expects not. these guys to step in and be an impact player. And by the way, C.J. Stroud is the anomaly. Like, rookie quarterbacks that step in immediately become one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL – immediately are the reason their team wins by a significant margin and their team wins, that doesn't happen. We've had really good rookie seasons, right, where they win the offensive player of the year, but maybe the team doesn't win. Or we've had, okay, they're on a winning team, but, like, it's like, oh, well, they're more of a system quarterback, right? Like, this is a clear-cut case where C.J. Stroud is a baller he is 90% of the reason why the Texans won this last year because their roster still isn't great. And, yeah. and then and then they did win. Like, they wanted a high clip and they won a playoff game. So I think that is what makes CJ the unicorn in all this. But it's just so tough. Like, I, I tend to think Caleb Williams has the best chance to step in and be an impact player because he just was so special – even this year, even though they didn't win a lot at USC, he was just so special as a player that I would it's, – it's just tough to believe a guy that was that good for three years in college at two different programs isn't going to be an immediate impact player. But, like, I guess as part of this is where do they end up? Yeah. You know, uh, like – Yeah, situation 100% matters. Like, you look at the draft order, and, and obviously a lot of this is still fluid, but, you know, are the Bears actually going to take Caleb Williams at one or are they going to trade back? Is, where does that leave Marvin with Washington and New England up next on, on the board? Like, are they going to both take a quarterback? There's been some people linking Marvin Harrison Jr. to New England. If that's the case and they pass up on for a quarterback, is he is Mac Jones going to be throwing to him? Because I don't know if that's the best situation for him. Granted, Garrett Wilson did win it with uh, Zach Wilson throwing him the football and the the pre-Cleveland version of Joe Flacco, which wasn't very good. Um so, yeah, like, it, but if he ends up in Arizona, like, if he falls to four and the Cardinals take him, Colin Murray's a fine NFL quarterback. Like, that might be a good situation for him. So, situation definitely matters. Um, but I, I just think well, I was, because, uh, real quick, I was talking more about the situation the quarterbacks end up in. Well, that, no, and that, that that's part, know, of, it like, that's I mean, part I, of it, too. I mean, I almost think like Marvin's so box office, it's not that it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, look at Travis Kelsey's numbers before uh, yeah. Pat Mahomes and after. Like, he was great. But he is clearly otherworldly. He's going to get the since football. linking up with Mahomes. Yeah, yeah. he's so like going to get with, the football. With Marvin, there's a, there's a significant significant difference if your quarterback's Justin Fields or Kyler Murray, and it's Mac Jones. Sure. Um, but man, I got to tell you, from the quarterback perspective, like if Caleb Williams ends up in Washington, that's a couple year build. 
You know, if Drake May ends up in Washington or New England or – and New England does have some assets, but, like, there's not a team that I look at in that first top five that if you take a quarterback, I'm convinced that quarterback's going to do what C.J. Stroud did and yeah. win, play well, and be the reason you won and then get you the playoffs all in, in their rookie year. That Stroud, that continues to yeah. be the, the – C.J. Stroud reset the standard oh, yeah. for rookie for quarterbacks in the NFL, taking over a team that had the number two pick. And then the next year, not only are you in the playoffs, you won a division nobody gave you a chance in. And then you went and beat one of the best regular season teams in the NFL in Cleveland, who if not for the stupid way that they do playoffs, Cleveland would have been the three seed if they didn't right. favor teams that won the division. Yeah, I, I I think you're right on Stroud. Like like he's kind of set the bar at a different level and is almost an anomaly or a unicorn in that way. So we'll see how that impacts how we measure Caleb Williams and these other guys coming out. I'll also just say this, and Stroud actually gave a shout-out to Ohio State and to Ryan Day. And for as much hate and – But not Bill O'Brien? He did not mention Bill O'Brien, no. no he did not. I'm sorry. The GOAT. Um, yeah, their, their times did not overlap, even though Bill O'Brien goes down as an Ohio state legend, but I, as much hate as Ryan day gets and takes uh, on a regular basis from this fan base and some of it is earned because when you lose to Michigan, it comes with the territory. He even, he's, he, every time he's out at the podium, he mentions that he said it at, uh, on Wednesday, like it's just part of being at Ohio state. You got to live with it, but there's gotta be no better Testament to the program he's running and him. When you have the offensive rookie of the year, who at one point was even in the MVP conversation, and CJ Schrag going up there and saying, Hey, thank you, Coach Day. Thank you, Ohio State. Like you talk about programs that prove that they can develop people. You see Garrett Wilson, you see CJ Stroud winning that award back to back. You see the number of guys that go to the NFL and are and are and are top draft picks, the wide receivers in particular. Uh, you're going to add another one to the list like we just talked about, Marvin Harrison Jr., but that list goes on and on with Chris Olave putting up good numbers and Garrett Wilson putting up big numbers. And Michael Thomas at a point was was a great NFL receiver. Like, There's no be better testament to the program than those guys vouching for you. And so as much as Ryan Day takes a lot of hate, you got to give him – this is another moment for us to pause and realize that he probably deserves some credit for the, for the, the talent that he's pumping out and putting into the, into the pros. Get ready for the hate mail you're going to get from Anthony Lima because you said something nice about uh, Ryan Day. <laughs> All right, guys. Will Ohio State make it three for three one year from now and add uh, the third straight offensive rookie of the year for the NFL honors? Uh, that kind of does it for us. But, again, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, uh, I keep almost saying Stitcher. That doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the free Odyssey <laughs> app, 923thefan.com. Make sure to comment on 923 The Fans' YouTube channel. Make sure to hit us with the subscription. Uh, like the videos. We appreciate all your support, guys. Uh, but next week, we've got more conversations. We should know who the Ohio State offensive coordinator is. We should know maybe a little more clarity at some of the, uh, the quarterback comments Ryan Day made this week. Big week coming next week. Talk to you next week. Spencer, great, great stuff today, buddy. Go Bucks.